and welcome to the third episode of Mejita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergat, the Chief Experience Officer of the CX Edge. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Sherry Shepard. She's a partner at Direct Recruiters. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. It's the Sherry show today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Um, yeah, we're certainly excited to have you. So let's just jump right in. Um, Sherry, can you tell me a little bit about direct recruiters and your role within the organization? Sure. So direct recruiters is a 60 person recruiting firm. We've been in business for 37 years. We're a relationship-focused firm that assists top-tier technology-driven organizations with acquiring, onboarding, and retaining high-impact roles, uh, high-impact or mission-critical roles. Uh, we collaborate with various people within organizations, executive management teams, hiring authorities, and human resource leaders. We help them to augment their searches to fill key roles. Uh, with top industrial professionals. Well, awesome. And I, I know what you do is transferable amongst industries, but you guys have chosen to have a focus in material handling, correct? We do. So we're, we have multiple, multiple verticals at our organization. There are 20 of us in the firm that focus on industrial, and material handling is a huge focus for us, for sure. Well, good. So, uh, you know, I, I like to keep these topical and obviously we're in sort of unusual times these days. Yeah. So what is direct recruiters doing in response to the coronavirus crisis right now, not only internally, but also for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So internally, you know, we were fortunate that um, we have the ability to work remotely. Over the last few years, we've had Two of our employees actually because of uh, um, significant others having to relocate we put good practices in place for remote work and then we've also put some practices in place for people to work remotely on an occasional basis so with that it's been somewhat seamless for most of us from our perspective that we've been able to work remotely my IT team might feel completely different about that as they had to scramble to make sure everybody had computers and phone access and everything. So we've had some good things in practice already to get us up and running. As far as with our clients, we are doing quite a bit to encourage our clients to, to continue with their processes and their hiring. Now, of course, often they can't. Some roles are just not fillable at this time, but in many cases, we recommend that they continue to do the interviewing. So if you've got a position that they know they'll be filling, whether it's three months, six months, whatever, down the road, we encourage them to not stop the process, to continue interviewing, weed out the candidates that don't fit with their expectations, and continue with those that do, so that when you can bring them on, you've already interviewed them, you've put every, all those processes in place to bring them on board for when you're ready. We encourage them to do virtual interviewing, virtual tours. We've had a lot of companies do virtual tours. Um, we're doing, there's even virtual onboarding and uh, of course training that can all be done online. And we're, we're helping our clients with that. And we're seeing that many are open to the idea. Mm -hmm. 
Very cool. I like the idea of the virtual onboarding. Um, I think, you know, some of these things that companies are implementing as a necessity might become part of their organization as things start to lighten up, um, especially with companies hiring people from all over the world in some cases. Being able to do some of these things virtually, I think, might have a long-term positive impact on a lot of organizations. That's my hope as well. You know, one of the most difficult things that we come across when we're bringing, when we're looking to place someone is if a person needs to relocate. Of course, we've relocated people from Florida to Omaha or Chicago to California. But if there is a way that now we're seeing that remote work does work, that hopefully some companies will open up those those expectations so that people can work remotely. They're open to travel. They just moving is difficult, whether they've got kids in school, especially high school, which is a terrible time to move, a difficult time, I shouldn't say terrible, difficult time to move a kid, or if they've got elderly parents. So being able to have people work remotely um, is definitely a plus that I do hope we get more of that from this. Great. Now you had mentioned that you're encouraging candidates to keep interviewing um, if they're out there on the job market. What are you seeing from the hiring perspective? Are companies putting a lot of positions on hold and not interviewing? Or are they interviewing under the pretext that they'll hire once this is over? Or are they actively hiring and bringing people on? It's a combination of everything. Um, Some companies have completely stopped hiring in certain areas. You know, a lot of companies had to go through some layoffs too. So of course we understand it's not the ideal time for them to hire, but when companies do have some roles that they know they're going to fill, then we do encourage them to, to continue the interview process. We're still placing candidates. Um, I've got a candidate starting on Friday. I've got a candidate starting on May 11th. Across the board, there's a couple candidates starting today. Some will start remotely and some will actually start in person depending on the situation. But across the board, there's all sorts of different ways to go about it to continue that process. Let's say beginning of June, people are able to hire a little easier. Wouldn't it be so much better to have three people in your pipeline that fit your expectations so you can either bring them in for an in-person interview or you're ready to make an offer? Of course, some are making offers now and and getting start dates up and ready, but it's so much better to have that pool of candidates. Over the last several years, technical positions have become extremely difficult to fill. Controls engineers, mechanical engineers, project managers, very often those people are hard to find. So putting the brakes on now and not looking for that person, you're basically starting from zero when everything opens up. Now, what are you projecting from a labor market perspective as it relates to the coronavirus? It kind of came into the coronavirus pandemic, the pretty strong labor market, relatively low unemployment. I know it was very difficult for a lot of companies to find those technical skills as it relates to engineers and and technicians. Um, And certainly this was not projected in any of the models as it relates to the labor market. So where are you guys thinking from a labor perspective, we're gonna be once we come out of this? You know, it's interesting, Um, you're right. Oh, since 2008, since the recession, we've been at a situation, we were at a situation for the last maybe three, four years where it was a candidate-driven market. 
clients had to really be able to explain the roles, explain the benefits of being with an organization versus why should I look? I have a good job. I'm happy. I'm making money. We had 3% unemployment. You're absolutely right. Now, in the last few weeks, unemployment is staggering. So it is going to shift. But I see, and in talking with some of the leaders in the industry, I've had a lot of great conversations over the last seven, eight weeks that we've been out um, with some of the leaders in the market that they are seeing what's happening now that will help in the future. As an example, many companies in the e-commerce world or companies that have, uh, many companies, of course, have put e-commerce parcel and post uh, situations into their infrastructure. They've built whole warehouses and, and e-commerce facilities, but there are still many more that have not done anything on the e-commerce. So they're seeing that people are now learning how to order online. Now, granted, many of us ordered online before, but now you have so many more people that are ordering food and toilet paper online because, of course, you can't find it anywhere. So they're learning how to uh, how to adapt. So many companies will need to continue to build that infrastructure or, or say, okay, it's time for us. We really need to get in here. So the hope and what I'm hearing from these leaders is that there will be a big influx of material handling systems for parcel and post and e-commerce because retail really needs to catch up. Yeah, I think I read even looking at um, projections over from the Christmas season, although more online sales had been purchased than ever before, it still only made up about 10% of the total retail market over yeah. Christmas was purchased online, which for those of us who maybe have been ordering online for a long time, it's hard to right. imagine. I think I did 95% of my Christmas shopping online. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but Absolutely. now you're getting other generations that maybe were a little bit resistant to online shopping, really are forced yeah. to do that out of necessity now, and might find that they like it better, you know. So I, right. I agree and, with and that. I think that's a great point. In the grocery business, it too, is going to take a huge step forward as far as this is concerned. Um, granted, you know, many are doing it already, but this is going to be another big step for material handling for, for the for the consumers. You had mentioned a little bit about just hiring for the technical positions, um, engineers, system controllers, things like that. When you're looking for a candidate, what do you think is more important, hiring for their technical ability or their cultural fit within the organization you're trying to place them for? Right, right. That's a good question. You know, you could have the best technical person in the world who knows everything and knows how to do things and knows how to make things work. And, and at the same time, they can be a bully. They could be belittling. They could be, um, you know, just not the best person in the world to work with. Very often you can have a group of people where one person's negative. I think there is a bigger impact of, of, of a group of people with one person being negative than one person being positive and trying to motivate the rest. I, I do think that culture is, is very important, that you have to have the fit of someone culturally. You could have the best technical person in the world, but they could just make it miserable for everyone else to come to work. And of course, that comes down to, you know, attrition. And most people leave because it's because of the people that they're around more often mm -hmm. than not. So it's important that cult culture is extremely important. 
Yeah, I think it's an area that, although a lot of people recognize, a lot of hiring managers within an organization have not necessarily been trained on um, hiring and, and recruiting for soft skills. You know, mm-hmm. and does that cultural fit make sense for the organization? And um, you know, it can it can lead to a very long term negative effect if you're hiring the wrong person from a cultural perspective. Right, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to judge. Everyone, one of the partners in our firm, when I first interviewed with the company 12 years ago, he told me, and this is so true, your best day on the job is your interview because you are on your best behavior. And, you know, from there on, it's okay, who is this person really? So it's really hard to hire for those soft skills. But there's, you know, if you have enough people do the interviews and and you have your ears on where you're really paying attention to what people are saying, think that 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 makes a big difference mm-hmm. so on the topic of just hiring for culture and soft mm-hmm. skills one of the, the I would say issues the industry has faced over time is it really isn't a very diverse industry within material handling um, and I know a lot of companies have struggled to make their companies more diverse and hiring mm-hmm. people of, of different races and, and genders and ages. And I really believe in the importance of diversity in a well-run workforce. Um, but I would say this industry has struggled to find candidates outside of their typical demographic. Do you have any recommendations of helping to make this industry more diverse? Oh, it's, it is tough. You're absolutely right. It is not a very diverse world in that area. Um, I think being very cognizant of the position you are trying to fill and what the skill sets are of this position to be very specific so that you're focusing on the skill set and, and trying to be less focused on the individual, right? But that person has to meet that skill set. So you're eliminating people based on where they may have fallen short on the skill set. And again, culture is very important. Having a zero tolerance for discrimination, harassment to anyone of any, uh, um, whether it's sexual orientation or uh, race or religion or age, uh, having zero tolerance and dealing with that head on, I think is very important. Having that transparent skill set, I think, is is key. Being very open-minded. I think that when you bring in people from an organization that are more diverse, and it's been proven that when you have a more diverse organization, you get better results, better, more ideas, and better um, revenue. I think that when you, you talk to people, learn about where they came from, and, and talk to them about what drives them, you will find somebody that maybe has worked and, and really put a lot of grit into who, or they have a lot of grit to, to make them who they are. Um, and then you have other people who maybe have had a different life. It gives you such a great balance and such great ideas that can come into an organization and it builds competition so that your people are having friendly competitions for that growth. To say specifically how to go about it, you just have to, for some reason or another, have a blind eye to it or somehow have a blind eye to it. It's uh, it's a tough thing though to identify. I think just being very focused on the skill set and opening up your search to any any variety of people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, Mahina has done a really nice part of the problem within this space and in hiring more diverse candidates has been the lack of applicants from a more diverse background. I don't think we hold in um, the level of diversity of the industry needs. And Mm -hmm. organizations like Mahina and MHI have done a pretty concerted effort to start targeting um, trade schools and high schools through different initiatives they have. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us within this space not to just rely on Mahina and MHI to talk about what a great industry this is, but Mm -hmm. that we as individuals and within our communities go out to the high schools and the trade schools and talk about all the opportunity that's in this space. You make a really good point. This is something that I've been a huge advocate for over the years as if I've worked in the industry, is getting the kids to see your factories and your facilities. I even encourage at a junior high school level, because oftentimes by the time they're in high school, they've been so focused on that uh, a certain area in their life, or maybe they're very college focused, which is great. But they need to. We need to encourage people at a younger age get them in their fact in your facilities and see all the cool technology. When you see a, a material handling facility and things that are going on and not all the products moving through it, I think that could really be an eye opener for kids to see there's some cool stuff going on. So many kids want to go out and and make make games you know they want to be uh programmers for creating games you know that's great but what's essential right now you know look at what's essential now that's what you need to do is work in in these facilities that help americans continue to to grow and be fed so i think it's important to get them started at a young age agreed agreed so let's switch gears just a little bit um we like to focus a lot in um Mahita talks about leadership and leadership qualities. So what mm-hmm. would you say are the most important values to you as a leader? Ah, well, I think um, being a good listener is first and foremost. Um, you know, as a leader, you know, we've I've made mistakes along the way. I know I have. I hope I'm learning through all of that. But I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is to really pay attention to what people are saying. Let the other person in the room have their say, let them, whether it's it's a, a, an idea that they have or a concern that they have, give them a minute, have, have, let them talk. Rather than just jumping in and having an answer, take a beat. I learned this from the president of our company, Dan Charney, over the last 12 years, I've watched him do this. And it's very interesting because someone will ask him a question, have a dialogue and ask him a question. And he'll say, he'll, rather than just jumping in and answering, he'll take a beat and then he'll answer the question. It makes you feel like he's really taken control, understands it. No, I know he knows the answer, like, you know, a snap of the fingers, but it's, it's a good way to, to let people really think that you're listening and you're there. Um, I was raised with three sisters and every one of us thought that we had to talk louder and first and over everyone else. So it's something that's just ingrained in me. I want to know, I want to give the answer because I know it, I know it, I know it. But I think it's really important. And I'm trying to, I've tried to teach myself this over the last several years to just take a minute. You don't always have to be the first one to answer. Um, So that gives people that empowerment too. I think, or giving people empowerment is important asking people their thoughts. 
you can have, we can get on a conversation or we're going to have a phone call with a client or a candidate. And rather than me just taking control or someone just taking control of the call, ask that other person that's going to be on the call with you, your coworker, how do they think this call should go? What concerns do they have about the call? So they're giving input. It empowers them to know that their opinion matters. So that, of course, not only that, but as, as if I was the person making the call, then I'm able to make sure that I understand the whole situation rather than just coming from my point. I think that gives a lot of good, it helps to empower your people getting their thoughts on board. You know, when back to Dan, when he used to do this with me, he would say, well, how do you think this call, what do you think we should accomplish in this call? And I'm like, why asking me? You know, but again, thinking back, that was great. It made me feel like I, I was a participant. I think too, with being a leader, leading by example is extremely important. You know, if you show up to work late or you leave at five on the dot, you know, then, then you're not, you need to show others that you need to, you're fully invested in your role, losing your temper, um, getting angry at other people or, or showing you know, the bad side of yourself really have to control that. You don't want to make it a, a situation where it, others think it's okay to act irrationally. Really taking control, I think, is helpful. I think that, yeah, the leading, leading by example really is, goes a long way. I think, too, just being a real person. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of goofy. I, I talk to myself, and everybody knows I talk to myself. Um, I probably laugh too loud, or I, you know, it is what it is, just, but I think just being human, I think, makes people more approachable. And I think that's a big part of leading is making sure that people, you are approachable so that people can come to you with questions and concerns. I totally agree. Authenticity is such a big component mm -hmm. of leadership. Right. And I, I think ultimately that's what gains people's trust. The more authentic yeah. you seem to be as a person in general. Right, right. So I love that. Great advice. Um, so now we're coming to, not that this hasn't been fun, but we're coming to the fun <laughs> part of um, our, our session here today. So it's a lightning round. Okay. Ten questions, quick off the top of your head answers. And um, let's just see, see what you got. Some of them are fun. Some of them are a little bit more serious, but I okay. hope you find they're all appropriate. All right. <laughs> um, I like to start it off easy. So... What movie can you watch over and over again without ever getting tired of? Legally Blonde. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a nice fun one. It's so stupid, but I like it. <laughs> People are looking for movie suggestions these days, so that's good. I don't know if that would have been one, but okay. <laughs> Do you think you're more effective in a group of people or one-on-one? -on -one? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Probably one-on-one. -on -one. Do you have a hidden talent that we should know about? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> then during the quarantine, you have to find one and we'll circle back. Okay. okay, good. Okay, if you were a ghost and could possess people, what would you make them do? Clean my house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, I like that. Do you have a favorite game to play on your phone? I like word games. So I do a lot of like crossword puzzles or there's this app called, I think it's called Bonza, B-O-N-Z-A. 
and it's like reverse crosswords. So I like to, I'm, I'm a word person. So. Very good. Do you prefer Netflix or Hulu? Ooh, right now I'm watching more Hulu um, than Netflix. Did you see the Tiger King? Not yet. Okay. Right. My daughter watched it and she told me <laughs> I need to watch it, but it's like, oh, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good watch for anybody out there that's, that's looking for um, Do you put your seat back when you're on an airplane? No. And the reason I don't is because my husband is 6'5". And whenever we get on an airplane, someone invariably puts their seat back in front of him and it just drives him crazy. So I have learned to not do that because, yeah, <laughs> I know he would be mad if he were behind me. <laughs> what person do you admire the most? Living or dead or across the board? Any, or? any across the board. It would have to be my mom. My mom grew up in the depression. Um, she taught us about about reading and about nature, and she was she was an RN. She was a really really great person. Probably my mom. All right. Um, and final question: What uh -oh. is the best thing you've done in quarantine? The best thing was probably yesterday. I um, had a lot. My friends, my sisters, my nieces, my daughter. We had a, a little virtual birthday party for me. So it was really fun. There was maybe 20 of us on at a time and we all laughed and, and that was really cool. Well, awesome and happy birthday. Thank you. Um, all right, that brings us to the end of this episode. Is there any closing thoughts you wanna leave our listeners with? No, but I appreciate Mahita um, inviting me to do this. I'm excited to see where this all goes. One of the things that I, I've learned the most is whenever we go through a situation that's difficult, we come through with more learning and more ideas and, and a lot that we you can capitalize on for the future. So I think if anything, there's a silver lining out there that uh, we will come through this stronger and, and hopefully healthy. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Sherry, for being a part of this. And uh, we'll see everybody next time on Mahita Talks. Thank you.